What is going on, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and in this remastered episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast, I break down the Norse creation story. Haven't you always wondered what a Viking would say if you asked him where the world came from? How many worlds there are? What he thinks about rainbows? Well, then I've got good news. Today, those questions are going to be answered. Longtime fans of my YouTube series will recognize what they're about to hear as the audio from the original episode, but the track has been remastered with additional sound effects to enhance the story and visual elements of the presentation adjusted for a seamless listening experience. Big thanks to every one of you for tuning in to John Solo's Messed Up Origins podcast, where we're posting remastered episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Don't forget to rate the show five stars if you enjoy it, and brace yourself for the messed up origins of the universe according to Norse mythology. Part 1. The Fooling of Gilfi. So I've actually struggled a lot with where exactly I want to start this breakdown, and that might be surprising to hear considering the stories about the creation of our world. You'd think the best place to start would be at the very beginning. However, before we dive in, I really want to talk to you about the sources for these myths, because they have an incredible backstory themselves that I think will make you appreciate Norse mythology even more. For starters, it was the primary religion of Scandinavia for centuries, Scandinavia being the kingdoms of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. However, between 700 CE and 11 1100 CE, a fancy new religion called Christianity started making the rounds in these countries, and as more and more people converted, it became increasingly dangerous to believe in anything else. What I mean by that is the good-hearted Christians started to punish people who thought Jesus was a big dork and refused to accept him as their lord and savior. They burned sacred texts, demolished temples dedicated to the Norse gods, they wanted the religion erased from the face of the planet. Fortunately for us, there was an Icelandic badass named Snorri Sturluson who realized that we were looking down the barrel of an entire culture's extinction, so he took it upon himself to do something about it. After compiling every bit of knowledge he had about the Norse religion, from the stories, to the songs, to the poems, to the sacred rites, he wrote it all down in a book he called the Prose Edda around 1220 CE. But John, you said the Christians were erasing the Norse beliefs from history. How did he get away with all that while they were book burning and temple smashing? Well, that's what's so genius about Snorri's writing. The Prose Edda isn't written like a religious text, it's written like a story through which the Norse beliefs are broken down. Now, there's actually three sections to the Prozetta, but our focus today will be on the first, the Gilfaginning. It follows the king of Sweden named Gilfi, who ends up being tricked by one of the Norse goddesses into giving her some of his land, which she then proceeds to break off and drag into the ocean with her giant oxen. Wondering if the Asir, the official name for the race of Norse gods, always get their way by using tricks and deception, Gilfi disguises himself as an old man and takes off for Asgard to get some answers. Only the all-seeing gods know about his plan and decide to play another trick on him and instead of his route taking him toward Asgard, he finds himself in a magnificent palace in a foreign land, face to face with three kings. And while this isn't an important detail, it's certainly a fun one, those three kings are all sitting at different heights. The lowest one is named High, the middle one is named Just as High, and the highest one is named Third. I certainly hope they weren't brothers, because if that was the case, it's obvious who was the least favorite. Anyway, to prove himself a wise man, King Gilfi, who's now going by the alias of Ganglier, is told to ask questions. At first, I thought that sounded kind of odd, asking questions to prove your wisdom, but I think there's a lesson to take out of that. Something like, truly wise individuals realize they don't have all the answers and are always pursuing knowledge. And if they're giving this guy the chance to ask literally anything, they'll be able to gauge his wisdom based off what knowledge he's pursuing. 
thing. If all he wants is some tips on how to improve his pickup game, they'll know they're dealing with a simpleton. Fortunately, that's not the case, and the king goes on to ask the questions that we'll be answering in this video. Questions like, who is the oldest and wisest of the gods? And how did the world get here, and what was here before it? It's a pretty clever way for Snorri to get all this information past the Christian censors, isn't it? Now, I should tell you, there is actually another Edda that was written after Snorri's called the Poetic Edda. It contains basically all the same information, but in the form of poetry, songs, etc. It's not actually relevant to this episode. Everything that we're covering was sourced from the Prose Edda, but the two are seen as a pair, so I couldn't just mention one without the other. But enough with the background information, right? You came here for the creation story, goddammit, so that's what you're gonna get. Part 2. In the Beginning the first question that King Gilfi asks the three wise strangers is who is the highest and oldest of all the gods, to which they answer Odin the Allfather and proceed to describe his great power. He is eternal. He rules over all the realms. He made heaven and earth, the air, and all things in them. What's most important, though, is he made man and gave him a spirit that will never die, even when his body turns to dust and ashes. Some heavy shit, right? We owe a lot to Odin, and that's why Gilfi inquired about him before anything else. That was Snorri's way of showing that worship and respect for Odin must be placed above all other things. Now for the second set of questions. How came the world into existence? Or how did it rise? And what was before? This is where Snorri really gets into the Norse cosmology and how they believe the world was made. So in the beginning, and I'm talking the very beginning, there was nothing but chaos, emptiness, and a few elemental worlds. To the north was Niflheim, a world of ice, and to the south was Muspelheim, a world of fire. That empty, chaotic void that existed between the worlds was called the Ganunga Gap but it didn't stay empty for long. See, the flames from Muspelheim caused the ice from Niflheim to melt and drip into the Ganunga Gap, where it started to form an entirely new mass of ice. Then, one of the venomous rivers that flowed from Niflheim spilled onto the ice as well, and from that venom, the evil giant Amir was born. But obviously, Amir was gonna require sustenance if he was gonna survive, right? Well, lucky for him, some more venom spilled onto the icy landscape he was living on and formed a cow named Audumla. So, Amir drank her milk, and she survived by licking ice blocks. Now, when Amir fell asleep, he somehow gave birth to a son and daughter from his armpits, and his legs had their own son together who had six heads. Weird, I know, but these children of his would go on to give birth to the rest of the frost giant race, which were known as Jotuns. And you may actually remember Jotuns from the Marvel movies. Now, as time goes on, the cow continues to lick the ice blocks and eventually uncovers the frozen body of Buri. Buri goes on to somehow conceive a son of his own, or in Bor marries Besla, one of the ladies giants. It's also worth noting here that just because they're called giants doesn't mean they're massive beings. With Amir being the only exception, Jotuns were about the same size as people, and while in some stories they're described as hideous troll creatures, in others they're said to be alarmingly beautiful. Next, born Besla, who we're just going to assume as one of the sexy giants, consummate their marriage and have three sons, Odin, Vili, and Vey. Then the brothers, desiring to bring order to the universe, slay the chaotic monstrosity known as Amir, and so much blood spilled from his wounds that had drowned the entire race of frost giants. Well, except for two. A giant named Burgomir and his wife escaped on an ark to rebuild their race somewhere else. And would you look at that? Another ancient religion with a story about a flood and an ark. The question is, was that always part of the story or was it added later to appease the Christian censors? That is actually a little complicated to get into right now. So let's just move on to the part where Odin and his brothers chop up Amir's body, shall we? Part 3. Creation 
Here's the thing, Solo fam. After Odin and his brothers killed Amir, they couldn't just let his body go to waste. There was some perfectly good real estate across those juicy lats, and they intended to use every bit of it. So they used Amir's flesh to form the earth, used his blood to make the oceans and lakes, his teeth and bones were broken up to make stones and pebbles, then they pulled off the top of his skull and made the sky with it, placing a dwarf under each corner. And these dwarves' names are where we get the cardinal directions from. Ostra, East, Vestra, West, Nordra, North, Sudra, South. Pretty cool, huh? After that, Odin and his brothers took glowing sparks from Muspelheim and scattered them throughout the cosmos to light up heaven and earth. What, you didn't know that stars were actually sparks from Muspelheim? Me neither. Oh, and the clouds in the sky are his brains. Couldn't forget that. So now our realm, Midgard, has finally been made, right? And the next step is to fill it with people. One day, the sons of Bor were walking on the beach when they found two logs and decided, hey, let's make an entirely new species out of these things. The first brother gave them spirit and life, the second gave them consciousness and movement, and the third gave them faces, speech, hearing, and eyesight. Then they gave him clothes and names, Ask and Embla, which translate to Ash and Elm, the kind of trees they were made from. After that, it was time for the Aesir to build themselves a home, so they constructed Asgard in the center of the cosmos. From there, Odin could watch over all nine realms, from Alfheim, the home of the elves, to Jotunheim, the home of the giants. Now here's where things start to get a little confusing, because Odin's wife Frigg is kinda introduced out of nowhere, then the two of them get busy, and she gives birth to the rest of the Aesir. And what makes that so confusing is that Frigg is said to be the daughter of Fjorgen, the male personification of the Earth. However, in other parts of the poetic and prose Edda, the Earth is said to be Odin's daughter and is given the feminine form of the same name, which has one less N. And if that's not weird enough, Odin and his daughter go dancing in the sheets and then she gives birth to Thor. Incest. You knew it was coming. Next, we gotta talk about the sun and moon. For a while, they were just floating around up there, not really doing anything useful. But at some point, a giant named Mundilfari had a daughter and son that he thought were so beautiful, he named them sun and moon. The gods thought this was a pretty arrogant move on his part, so they took his kids away from him and gave each one the responsibility of pulling the sun and moon around the world with a chariot. And to make sure they stay on schedule, they're chased by two wolves named Skull and Hate that will eventually catch up and devour them. And what makes that especially sad is the moon actually took two kids from Earth to ride around with him. So when the wolf takes him out, they're gonna die too. By the way, those two kids' names were Juki and Bill, and some folklorists believe them to be the inspiration for the Jack and Jill nursery rhyme, because according to the story, the moon took them while they were fetching a pail of water. I'm not sure if I buy that theory, but if you wanna hear more about the messed up origins of Jack and Jill, check out my video on it. Back to the Prosetta though. It's at this point that Gilfie asks my favorite question out of all of them, how do the gods get to earth from heaven and vice versa? And the reason that it's my favorite is because the answer is on a rainbow. Only the gods didn't call it a rainbow, they called it the Bifrost. Maybe it's just me, but I think it's so fucking cool that whenever Vikings saw a rainbow, they thought it was the gods either coming to or leaving Earth. Or should I say Midgard? But now I've got some good news and some bad news, Solo fam. The bad news is I'm going to bring this episode to a close, but the good news is there is plenty more where that came from. We have a ton of Norse content already available on my YouTube channel, complete with visual aids and custom-made artwork, which you can check out right now by following the link in this episode's description. 
Feel free to stick around here, though, because all that remastered content will be coming right to the podcast every Monday and Wednesday from now on. In the meantime, I just want to say thanks for stopping by and listening to the Messed Up Origins podcast. I hope you found it entertaining, enlightening, and just a little bit horrifying. Remember to make your sacrifice to the algorithm gods by rating our show five stars and let us know what you think by hitting us up directly on Instagram or Twitter under the Messed Up Origins handle. Until next time, mere mortals, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.